0: And welcome to another lovely episode of the Lines of My Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, and with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi, Joe. I didn't give you your uh, your contractual yay, Liam. I apologize, yay, Liam. I'll just do it myself. I, all right. I have to ask. Uh, maybe this is some deep lore shit uh, that happened before I was listening to your other show. Well, there's your problem. Plug. How did that start? How did the Yay Liam thing become a thing? Oh, I just said it for myself, and then Alice started <laughs> saying it. I was like, Yay Liam! Like, yeah, I'm here. I'm the least favorite uh, host of the fans, and they can all suck it. So you gave yourself a catchphrase, effectively. Yes, it did. Outstanding. Thank you. I, I mean, it worked. Yeah, it, it, it has a TV tropes entry. Is it really outstanding? Yeah, somebody made a TV troops for lions, and I have no idea who did it. I have no idea who did it for us either. But like, there's hundreds of entries, maybe not hundreds, but yeah. Bless your hard work, whoever you are, you poor soul. Yeah, you should probably probably go outside a little bit, though. I I support them doing weird shit uh, like that because we do weird shit like to make this show. Yeah, well, that's true. Because we're idiots. It's it's fair. I would never deny that. Speaking of idiots, you know what we haven't talked about in a long time? Dead racists. Oh, good. Yay. I love dead racists. But I decided to do something that maybe a lot of people have never heard of before. Because a long time ago, I read a book called The Bang Bang Club, which I don't know if it still holds up. But I highly recommend it as of right now. (laughs) Um, They made a, a bad movie based on it. Um, that was about a group of mostly South African photojournalists during the fall of apartheid and it's very interesting To it, one of them includes like the Pulitzer I think is a Pulitzer prize winning photographer that took that well, very well known picture of the child with the vulture next to it yeah yeah and he ended up I believe killing himself over, yes, over did, that which yeah. uh, who could blame him honestly yeah, he was going through a lot of stuff before then as well yeah. anyway very cool book but there's a side story to it that talks about the coup, And yes, I pronounced that correctly. And I have no idea how proud I am of myself. But here from now on, I will call it a, a Bop because that is apparently what is commonly called. Now, the reason why we're talking about Bop is because once upon a time, I labeled something the dumbest coup ever that we talked about on the show, namely mm-hmm. the uh, one in Venezuela from a couple of years ago. Have we got a new one? Well, I think I spoke too soon, honestly. Ah. (laughs) I think it is unfair to label that coup as the dumbest coup ever and not give the fine, fine idiots that launched the Bop Coup their their credit. We got to give the Bop Coup deal. I'll leave it for the, the audience to decide, though I know a lot of people want to laugh at the Venezuela one. It is funny. Uh, I honestly think this one is dumber. Uh, because nice, let, me, <laughs> let me set the stage for you. What if I told you a corrupt, black, South African, anti-communist libertarian joined forces with an Afrikaner <laughs> neo-Nazi in order to defend apartheid and nearly led to an all-out civil war? <laughs> oh, uh, Alright, yeah, I guess I'm on board. <laughs> Like, I kind of do a lot of me, but... <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. I understand it's a lot. And there's going to be a lot of weird parallels to modern history in this story. Because we do have to talk a little bit about apartheid um, and the collapse of apartheid. Because I, I understand most people are aware of the concept of apartheid, but they aren't aware of like some of the nuance involved in it. And this is not going to be an exhaustive thing on apartheid. I sure. will have to overlook some of it. Maybe somewhere someone will do a full history of apartheid. I am very unqualified to do that. Yeah. We're two white guys from America. Yeah, I'm certainly not a a black South African that was impacted by apartheid who should be telling that story. This, of course, brings us to the concept of apartheid itself. Long story short, this is a form of institutional racism and racial segregation, uh, meaning separateness or apartheid, uh, that was slowly signed into law. Bit by bit, like there was no apartheid law. Well, oh, okay. It, it was something of um, uh, of an accumulation of various different laws. Sometimes it's known as like petty apartheid laws, something like, you know, miscegenation laws and other more important things uh, that would come later that were honestly much more vile, uh, I guess if you're going to judge them. A big old racist snowball. Yeah, exactly. Some people point out it started in 1949 at the Prohibition of Mixed Marriages, but it only ramped up from there. And you can honestly... In my opinion, fairly argue it began way before this. There's the immorality amendment the next year, which made even fucking outside of your race illegal. Go away. Yeah. And if now to help you out, there was a a ladder of races, if you will. Uh, There was four specific races mapped out in South African apartheid law, white, black, colored and Indian, uh, with every single one of those having a subcategory further with it just to show how dumb this was they would give certain famous like black american singers and stuff honorary white status so they could still come into the country and perform for white people like just cool. to show how stupid this was cool races are the most stupid fucking people on the planet dude absolutely they're dumb as shit and and their their stupidity is is very surface level <laughs> Arguably, the worst bits of it began in the 60s and 70s. But in reality, the seeds of what happened in the 60s and 70s were planted early on in the 1900s with uh, the Native Lands Act of 1913 that legally gave only 7% of all South African land to the native black population. I'm using the term black population as a blanket term. I understand there's a lot of different um, ethnicities and tribes involved. We will talk about more of those later. I can't talk about all of them. Just. No, there's more at play here. It's kind of weird, right? The white people of South Africa, Afrikaners, boo or whatever, would openly admit that these are the the indigenous people of right. the, of the land in in these laws titles, but also like be like like the next line down, fuck them. Right. It's ours now. Like it's kind of unique. Land acknowledgments but the bad guy. <laughs> right. It's it's like um, I don't know, do like Canada doing land acknowledgement and then building a pipeline through it. Right. <laughs> So they had the Native Lands Act, which legally gave seven percent of all South African lands to at most seven percent. I should point out uh, to the native black population. These were the worst tracts of land, as you can imagine. Right. Uh, by the nineteen fifties, this is enlarged to the Native Resettlement Act, which gave the government power. At this point, all government powers to the National Party of South Africa, which is an Afrikaner slash Boer in my opinion the the separation of those two people does not matter to me white south africans it right. gave, it, it was a white separatist white nationalist nationalist party i they're not neo nazis but we'll get to those guys <laughs> <laughs> superb yeah but they are certainly white nationalists and honestly like a lot of what they did uh, is just uh, pretty much their entire existence is a sin upon the human race. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Most things are, Joe. Yeah, that's true. Now, the Native Resettlement Act gave the government the power to forcefully remove the black population from white majority areas, placing them on previously established reservations, of which there were 10. Now, the term reservation is used interchangeably with a few others, like the term Bantu Stan, Bantu, things like that. I'll use them all interchangeably. Eventually, the National Party, which was the one that would rule white minority South Africa pretty much for its entire existence, decided that this act still wasn't enough. By 1970s, using these acts, the white government forced around 4 million black South Africans to relocate to these reservations in what is one of the largest forced government evictions in history. I think like partition and like the Nakdoba are maybe worse. Partition might be worse uh, of of India Pakistan. Right. But this one is one of the worst. Christ. Great. This was targeted specifically to destroy black life in urban centers. Specifically things like Johannesburg, Pretoria, places like that. But it was also targeted uh, at black landowners that still managed through some form of government of which there's mostly all stacked against them to hold like farmland in areas that white people wanted. They would be kicked off, forced into these reservations. That land would then be given to white people or sold off to white people. Now, under the doctrine of apartheid, the key was separation and securing control for the white minority population. Right. And while they had certainly made things pretty goddamn separate black people were still technically citizens of South Africa. They were about to change that. Noble of them. Right. I I really don't want to compare the two, but as far as uh, like the United States was concerned, as racist as we were during like our Jim Crow eras, black people were still considered citizens of the United States. Like, that's a really low bar. All right, good. We've got one up on apartheid era, South Africa. That uh, yeah. fucking rules. I mean, we certainly gave them a lot of their ideas, but they're yeah. like, okay, but what if we dial that to like 15? Because I would argue we were already at 11. Yeah. Hey, Hitler got a bunch of his ideas from uh, us. Uh, they, they sure did. They Spe- sure did. <laughs> specifically no. eugenics in California. Yeah, that's that's now, great. I hate this place. Of course, the National Party fixed this little problem of black people with citizenship by stripping it from everyone on the reservations, which were now called Bantu stands or Bantu. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Sorry. I've heard it pronounced Bantu, but I I know that it's also a grouping of languages. That is the extent of my knowledge. Sorry, everybody. Now, the people on these these reservations were stripped of their South African citizenship. The government then made these ten Bantu states, Bantu states, whatever, um, uh, semi-sovereign, and then four of them became independent nations, recognized by you guessed it, only South Africa. Ah. <laughs> People living on these reservations were given citizenship to the reservation and the reservation only. That's almost ingeniously diabolical. You don't have to give them their due or anything, but that's that's pure fucking evil, man. When you look further in, it's even worse. Like obviously you can look at uh, the United States and, uh, and you know say Canada and our reservation systems and realize how disgusting they are because, you know, r- large tracts of land which are not good for much. Right we were forced to population to live upon that. They did the same thing, but they also broke up these gigantic plots of land into small disconnected fragments. Right. So they would be like, for instance, Baputhaswana was like seven different pieces of land with no connecting boundaries. There's a lot of weird history here, but like the, the Bantu stands were purposefully made to fail. Right. Like say, KwaZulu Natal, which is one of them, was built upon a fertile farmland. Okay, well we'll we'll simply cut it in half, make a weird valley where that fertile farmland is cut out, give it to some white farmers, and then the rest of it the Zulu's You get the scraps, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like that. Now, they were now foreigners in their country of birth. Even though like, you know, you can argue that the concept of South Africa is a colonial creation, but still, the place that they were born, they were now foreigners in. Right. Now, the economies of these territories, reservations, Bantu stands, were entirely dependent on South Africa by design because black people were only allowed to live in restricted residence outside of these Bantu stands. Normally, it was almost like a ghetto that was purposely formed by the government outside of white majority towns. So you could then travel to the white majority towns to work service jobs, work as effectively sharecroppers on farms. Yeah, like very, very, very unthought of labor jobs. So many people were forced to commute several hours each day to work outside or become migrant laborers in surrounding countries. The so living and working in these places was nearly impossible. I assume that was also by design. Yes. Yeah. Their their goal was to A, keep the black population away from the white population. And if one of the trickle down effects of that is people realize that their existence was awful and they would leave, then it's a bonus. Right. Now, this forced populations of these places to become concentrated in poor, overcrowded border communities within commuting distance of work in white run industries within South Africa, which I need to point out is every industry. Right. They controlled everything. Furthermore, the assignment of people to these Bantu stands was seemingly done at random, with many people just simply stuck somewhere, with no ethnic connection or tribal connection to right. anyone. They were this is not their indigenous land. Like, like the one we're talking about Bapathaswana is considered an indigenous land for the Swana people in some aspects. It's not all of it because you know it's chopped up. But there were some non-Swana people that were simply stuck here. And the same thing would happen to KwaZulu-Natal and the others like, like fuck it. You're all the same to us. We don't care. You live right. here now. You leave. You get brutalized by the military or the cops. Same scramble for Africa bullshit. Yeah. But you know, the 1950s. Right. <laughs> cool i love history yeah isn't it great and like it's even funner when you think about like this is within your your like immediate family's lived experience like lived lifetime like this is an ancient history since these places were legally separate from south africa the political realities within them could be much different some political leaders simply refused independence seeing this entire thing for what it was like no the you're separating us this is unfair and a lot of these places um just rejected working as a sovereign nation, which of of course uh you know morally great idea this this of course made things hard for them and the people within them, but like the nowhere had it good i'm not i'm certainly not judging anybody harshly for right. making this choice. I think it's the right thing to do possible choice, yeah. And a lot of these places simply became a great place for the African National Congress or ANC to recruit people uh, to fight against white minority rule. Now, by the 1980s, after decades of unrest, civil disobedience and some Bush war for good measure, the cracks are beginning to form in the shitty foundations of apartheid. As it became clear Nelson Mandela and the ANC would eventually come to power, whether the white people liked it or not, people began to ask the obvious question what the hell were we going to do with these random independent states that the National Party had created out of thin air? Now, eventually, the governments of P.W. Botha and de Klerk, because these guys have just great names Uh all around, gave citizenship back to the black people on the Bantu stands. But there was eventually going to be provisions to absorb them back into South Africa. But here's the problem. Uh (laughs) <laughs> not all of the Bantu stands were considered independent states. What? Some of them were considered semi-sovereign. Others were considered independent states, specifically like Bapu was considered an independent state. So if you happen to be one of the semi-independent ones, you got your citizenship back. But if you happen to be in one of the ones that were considered independent, by, remember, the National Party only, then you had to reapply for citizenship. Cool. That's terrific. I hate races so <laughs> much. <laughs> now, and also, the National Party's ideas began to form into, okay, well, since our loose grasp over South Africa is going to change, we can't stop that. Um, we're either going to change it in negotiation rooms or we're going to be dragged through the street by our feet until... Dragged we- through the street. Dragged through the street. I got some good news for you later. Uh yeah. <laughs> Now... The idea turned into some kind of loose racial confederacy, uh, which, of course, was based on the Bantu stands with white people still dominating it because this is a National Party idea. Of course, ANC was like, no, that's fucking stupid. We're not doing that. Right. Now, this did have some support uh, amongst Bantu stand leaders. One was uh, KwaZulu-Natal, where uh, there was something of a... Uh, they, they strongly strongly uh, uh, distrusted a strong government, central government, because look at the central government that they were dealing with at the time, right? right? Fair enough. Another one, and I'm not going to go into like the Inkatha freedom or or the history of of the Zulu, uh, Zulu KwaZulu-Natal at the moment. There's a lot there. Uh, They also would work with a lot of very weird people that would hate them in any other situation, but they didn't go quite as far as the guy we're going to talk about today, who is Lucas Mangope, the president of BOP. Um, Now, Bop was one of the Bantu stands considered to be independent, and Mangope was its leader, who fully bought into the system, not for any ideological reasons, but because this allowed him to rule over Bop like a shitty feudal lord and be cartoonishly corrupt as he ever wanted to be. Right. Yeah, because of course someone's going to take advantage of this situation, right? Yeah, someone's got to make money from this. Now, the people of BOP, like every Bantu stand by design, were desperately poor. And this is actually despite the fact that BOP was sitting on a lot of mineral wealth, which Mongope made sure to exploit for his only personal wealth. Uh, he turned the Republic into something of a broke ass Las Vegas for rich white people in South Africa um, because the National Party was, as you can imagine, incredibly conservative as all white nationalists are. Right. um This meant like gambling, strip clubs, brothels, all those things were illegal in South Africa. But because in <laughs> South Africa, <laughs> Bop was now a foreign country, Mangope could make his own laws. So he made all of those legal. Hey, man, hustler mindset, you know? Ride never stops, Joe. <laughs> the, the, gotta get that Mangope grind set, right? <laughs> uh Now, white business owners uh, and entrepreneurs of the very racist South African type... Through incredible amounts of bribes through Mangope, which is how this government ran. He pretty right. much stole everything that wasn't nailed down. Like civil servants were really never paid on time, things like that. He completely stole every election. But white business owners eventually opened Sun City, a gigantic casino and resort, what which more- was just across the border of the Republic because they were very close to and Johannesburg, which are white majority areas. Right. So they just have to dip their toes in BOP, Go into the giant hedonism uh, Sun city place, <laughs> there was something called a cultural boycott of South Africa at the time right, right. uh which was like completely unenforceable, really, but it was like by the u n to uh try to f- pressure the South African government into ending apartheid, meaning like it was a boycott for singers, sports, all of those things. Like Nobody right. can go to South Africa for any kind of sporting event, any kind of entertainment event. It was a cultural boycott. So, right. the fun entrepreneurs of Sun City had a point. Bapa is not South Africa. You can come to Sun oh, City God damn it, and dude. perform. <laughs> now, of course, anybody... With any two brain cells that rubbed together, be like, no, nah, that, no, nah, bro, that's, that's South Africa. It's still bad. You're, you're forgetting how much money these people were willing to pay, which was a lot. Now, the casino, even though it was in BOP, was still racially segregated and under the control of apartheid rules because it was owned by white people and Nagope really liked uh. white people money. And not to mention, like, the people that lived in BOP were never going to be able to afford to go to this place anyway. It wasn't for them. Right. Um, now, if you're wondering who some of these performers might be, so you can get mad, the Beach Boys, Elton John, Cher, and fucking Queen, ah, to include with Freddie Mercury, like this is before he died. Uh, now, I'm disappointed in Cher as a fellow Armenian; she should know better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, Queen made like a really piss poor excuse, is like we just go where we're entertaining people. The like, then why did you go to the mm-hmm. casino and not to like the capital of Bob? Mm. and yeah didn't have didn't have a lot of uh, explanation for that now never do yeah yeah and especially because like freddie mercury is is not a white man who grew up in the uk he should know what like racial discrimination look i'm just disappointed guys i'm sorry (laughs) (sighs) now um Mangope was more than happy to allow white people to come in, extort and extract money and resources from his people because he got kickbacks. He was incredibly powerful. Nobody challenged him. He was also the richest person in this country outside of the white people in the casino because of course he was. Now, uh, I already said that he rigged every election that he took part in with the added funny bit of he had assistance from the South African intelligence service to help him. Right. Because like, having a vocal Bantustan leader support the system was invaluable to them. Right, I can imagine. So whenever he needed help from the white government, they're like, yes, absolutely. Well, just, just stay over there. No, no, no. Just stay over there. We'll come and help you. Come into my hedonism palace. Yeah, exactly. Now, this led to a ton of coups over the year, as you can imagine. With each time Magope was overthrown, the South African Defense Forces would roll through and put him right back in place. Uh. Now, whenever tens of thousands of civilians would take to the street like they did in 1990 to protest Mangope being you know, shitty at his job, he had a personal army to handle that called the, the BOP Self-Defense Force, which would shoot at them. Uh, he also outlawed the African National Congress, Mandela's group. Cannot wait for this. Does this guy get dragged through the streets, too? Unfortunately, Mangope does not. Oh, his party was actually in bot politics until like a couple of years ago. Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. Now, another small detail here the Defense Force, the BDF, was led by, you guessed it, I'm sure, at this point, white officers from the South African Defense Come Force. Come on, dude. Do you want to bet who is in his Republican government? No, not really, but. <laughs> More white people! Yeah, I mean. Uh-huh. this somehow gets worse. This included Mangope's minister of defense, Rowan Kranji, who was the, oh, he former sounds like a war criminal. He was because he was yep. the former minister of health, education, and labor from drumroll, Rhodesia, Rhodesia. <laughs> hey, hey, <hey>, fan favorite. <laughs> now Kranji and others like him were key parts of the government working with Mangope. I now no, notice I'm not saying for they never considered them below the president of BOP because he was a black man uh, in order to preserve BOP's independence. Obviously, the white people in his government did not give a single shit about BOP or even Mangope. They cared about racial segregation, and their means were defended by BOP's continued existence as an independent right, right. state. He didn't even like tamp down on his Rhodesia-isms while he was a member of BOP's government. Well, at least he's consistent he was questioned at some point about all the white dudes in BOP's government. Like, by yeah. it was a foreign journalist, of course. No South African journalist would ask him about this. <laughs> like, it was a foreign journalist when there's a lot of unrest. Like, well, if this is a black, supposedly indigenous republic, why are you the minister of defense, white man, from, you know, former city known as Salisbury? Uh, he said, quote, President Mangope has realized that from the first day to run a complicated business of government is not yet within the grasp of his people. Oh, he said, "This is a sitting member of government." I just I hate racists so much. I will say there was some white South African uh, like officers within the BDF who, when we talk about other people of the story, do not seem as bad. But like I do need to point out that they were all in service of white separatism and white nationalism bastard covered bastards with bastard filling. Yes. So as the apartheid government got closer to a deal with the ANC for, you know, majority rule and the first free elections, this is mostly what we're talking about here. More pressure had to be placed on Bop to willingly come back into South Africa because they like, oh fuck, we gave these people independence. Now they want to keep it. Shit. Right. <laughs> oh no. Our plan has failed. <laughs> our white nationalist experiment has blown up in our face. Uh who could have seen this coming? Yeah. By 1994, with the first free and fair elections coming up in South Africa, Mangope announced he would boycott them because he was an independent nation. He had no business voting in the elections of South Africa, much to the horror of the people of BOP, who did not support him. There was like pretty large ANC voter drives because what they were trying to do is teach people what the vote was because they were never allowed to vote before. Um, and when ANC teams, which admittedly I know there's some like political uh, friction between ANC and other political parties, even during this time when it comes to ending apartheid, ANC did a lot of footwork when it came to showing people how the vote was going to work. Sure. Especially because there was a very high illiteracy rate in a lot of these places, again, by design. So, like when ANC polling groups came out to like teach people how to vote, uh, BOP's BDF was sent out to like chase them away and arrest them. Like the ANC was outlawed, even to do uh-huh. this, which was you know a civil service effectively. Now, when it came to resisting the vote, like I said, they were not alone in regards to the Bantu stands. Uh, I already talked a little bit about kwazulu Natal. They threatened to boycott the vote of the main Zulu political party, the Inkatha Freedom Party. So the ANC sat down and negotiated them on a few things. For instance, their very warranted distrust of a strong central government, uh-huh. uh, and they they smoothed things over. That left Bop standing alone. Well, kind of alone, because standing with them against the return or the birth of, really, majority rule in South Africa, were a whole lot of white Nazis. Hans fuck ass, yes. And my God, did they support Bop's mission to stay independent because they knew that this was the future that they wanted and the right. past that they had. Now, this brings us to the AWB. Uh, now, I'm calling them the AWB because that is what their acronym is, uh, or their abbreviation is, from a completely unpronounceable Afrikaner name. Yeah, uh, but of course. it stands for the Afrikaner Resistance Movement. Now, the AWB was founded in 1973 by an absolutely renowned fuckhead named Eugene Terre Blanche. Fuckhead name, too. His name literally translates to Eugene Whiteland. Land. <laughs> yeah. That's what it says on the 10. Yeah. Now, to the shock of many, I'm sure, started out as a cop.
1: Oh, wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> now, he worked in what is today Namibia as a cop, which was then Southwest Africa. Uh, now, he decided being an apartheid-era cop was not racist enough, so he resigned after four years of service to take a run at politics with the HNP party, which, again, I, it's uh, Afrikaner shit that I can't pronounce. Racist grind never stops. Dutch people are the fucking words. Dutch people, your language is fucking uh, just incredibly hard for me. Oh, uh, yeah, just throw some shoe polish and tell us how mad you are. <laughs> now... <laughs> The HNP was itself a even further right wing splinter group of the ruling national party. Jesus Christ, how exactly? I got to say, how fucking racist are you when you break off from the national party (laughs) of apartheid South? Africa? These guys are scrubs. (laughs) Your party plank just says I should be able to say it with the hard R." (laughs) A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, Oh Yeah. Yeah, that and openly wearing swastikas. Okay, we'll get to the swastika fart. We'll get to the swastika fart. Swastika fart. Uh now his attempts at office failed because even in rural South Africa's like he's in Ventersdorp, which is a very white majority area. It's a rural area with white farmers, so they're even further right than most National Party people are as Terrific. normally is the case, right? Even in a place like that, like the P barely got any vote. I think he got like 4% of the vote in the local mm. elections. So, yeah, he's a fucking failure. I'm sure he's not going to let that stop him. Now, this led to him founding the AWB as a secret society of neo Nazi nerds and losers. But I repeat myself. Their flag is literally just a very dumb-looking swastika, though Terre Blanche and the rest of his fellow AW dickheads, most of whom are dead now, rest in piss, uh, refuse to say it's a swastika. Now, Liam, this is not a, a visual medium. We do a podcast, but I'm going to ask you to look up the AWB's flag and tell me what you see. One moment, please. <laughs> It's A W V fly, which I'm sure will get me. That's why I used to come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me tell you what their rationale is. That's a Triskelion. I believe they call it. So it is supposed to be three number sevens no uh, and, <laughs> in order to counteract the mark of the beast, which is six, 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 because Shut they off. saw the end of apartheid as being equal to that of satanic forces. Now, what the rationales, why it's on a white background white round or the color red, and innocent in the exact formation of a swastika. They never explain. Uh like this is like do you watch Always Sunny? Yeah. Pure coincidence. Oh. This is this is uh hundred percent the scene where Frank makes a flag that looks like a swastika. It's like, yeah. What it's four Fs? How was I supposed to know it was supposed to look like <laughs> that? <laughs> now the a w b did not remain a secret society for long, however, they rose to the public attention because they were literally tarring and feathering college professors they did not agree with and wait for it called marxists mm. he- hearing any,
1: any hey
0: now i i'm going go i am gonna openly say here these uh these slight connections are going to turn into gigantic screams of connections in, in a very short amount of time. Now, by the time the AWB became well-known, their numbers exploded. Much like other neo-Nazi groups, they formed charities and youth leagues and the like. Their ranks swelled with, you guessed it, cops and soldiers, as well as the rural poor. They're just disaffected, Joe. That's right. They have economic anxiety. Yeah, they're just scared. In case you're wondering how they roped in the rural poor, it wasn't because of anything other than their underlying racism bred in by the apartheid system. They were being told that if black people were allowed to have majority rule, they would all be thrown off their lands and be poor. Or killed. Probably killed. Because there'd be a white genocide, which is also good. something Eugene Terre Blanche talked about. Good, good, good. Root for it. I'm going to go on a limb here and say I do not support the white genocide of people in South Africa. However, land reform, good idea. And also, yeah, you fucking yeah. stole that land! It was Genocide, literally by design! Bad. Genocide, bad. I know, I know, leave me this alone. This was a legitimate fear that the AWB and a lot of mainstream... Like, the AWB is not considered mainstream by any stretch of the imagination, even in This quite. is a mainstream fear, I assume, because they know apartheid ending, so on and so forth. It is 100% a mainstream fear. The National Party would say these things when the bush wars were starting and things like that mm-hmm. um to get people to support them but now with the elections coming up and negotiations i'm going it was blowing up in their face because their own voting base which was then joining the AWB and other groups we'll talk about uh that they had to point out like no no it couldn't possibly be like that because because they were they stoked fear for so many decades it ran out of control right And obviously, as in the year 2021, and we are recording this, no, there is no genocide of white people in South Africa, no matter how much Lauren Southern really wants that to be true. The show just makes me so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Just took it to my face! Now, I like that you just laughed like Goofy there. (laughs) Now, the AWB harnessed those fears, as you can imagine, as well as became something of a low-scale charity group. For a lot of these people who were poor, uh, like the National Party did not give a single fuck about the rural poor either. It was just like, again, like it made them feel power. better. Power. Yes. Right. So 100%. So yeah. Now, nothing was done to counter the rise of the AWB as they rapidly brought in tens of thousands of recruits. I'm sure they just overlooked it, dude. I'm sure they just overlooked it. They were considered a weird fringe group, uh, despite the fact that Eugene Terre Blanche was, uh, like, taking to the stage openly calling for racial civil war should the National Party go ahead with their plan of free elections. I need to point out, freedom of speech was not guaranteed in South Africa, even for white people. (laughs) Wow. It was a very repressive government. Uh, They did a lot of just awful things. Racism will do that to you. Even if you separate them from their policies of apartheid, which I should say you should not, like even the things that they did to the group of people that were supposed to support them were just awful. Uh, It goes into their inherently fascist white nationalism that all conservative parties will eventually turn into when given untethered power. That's a topic for a different day. (laughs) They sure will, Joe. Now, nothing was done to counter them, like I said, uh, despite the fact that jean Blanche was just openly breaking the rules and law everywhere he went. I mean, of course, it helped that a lot of the cops were AWB members. Um, now, as always, despite the fact that this group had countless allies in the national government to include soldiers, cops, rumored ministers of parliament, like lower members of elected office, local members of government, things like that. Sure. This broke out into violence because, of course, it does. That's what uncontrolled fascist groups always turn into. Like, also they were, by design, yeah, yeah. And that, and I shouldn't have to point out they also had a weird fetish with uniforms because all fascists have a weird fetish with uniforms. Like one of uh, like the main sources I use in this, which I'll, I'll link to the show notes. Like it has a lot of videos of AWB uh, meetings, and it always includes. Torchlight gatherings and AWB dudes in black uniforms doing really lame karate in formation. <laughs> Jesus! Now, uh, an AWB rally was held in Ventersdorp outside of where uh, FW de Klerk uh, was scheduled to hold a public address. At the time, the area is thought as being one of a huge stronghold of AWB, and anger was high because not too long before de Klerk's government had recognized the ANC as a legal political party, which before then it was outlawed and freed Nelson Mandela and a lot of other ANC members from prison in order to take part in political activities. Right now, this is considered effectively race treason to the AWB. And to be fair, consider that to a lot of members of the national party as well. Now, after several run-ins with cops, not to mention not that many of the AWB members are cops themselves. Right. The AWB began to develop and train in tactics to defend themselves against the state because cops in South Africa, even towards white people, were just vicious monsters. Race didn't matter at that point. You were against the state. You had to go. Right. They disappeared. A lot of fucking people. Um, especially like uh, white anti-apartheid activists. A lot of them motherfuckers had a bad end. Uh, not to, to make this about them, but the cops attempted to exact violence on the AWB, but the AWB had trained for them in very weird ways. Uh, like, for instance, to protect themselves from tear karate. gas. <laughs> They're very dumb formation-based karate. Well, they had guns, first of all. They didn't try to fist fight the cops because that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They brought stuff with them to protect them from tear gas, and they even casted like plaster of Paris shields over their arms and legs to protect them from police dog bites, which is honestly kind of ingenious. Now, the AWB were also heavily armed, which, of course, would lead to shootouts between them and the cops. But the thing that they are probably best known, even outside of the Bop Coup, is the Kempton Park World Trade Center incident. Oh, boy. Never want to hear World Trade Center and Incident in the same sentence. <laughs> Thankfully, the AWB did not have their pilot's license mm-hmm. or instrumentation license. I forget what Muhammad Atta had. Um, now, in 1993, there's a meeting going on there where there are multi-party talks going on to end apartheid and bring a, a vote to the table, which... Obviously, the white people would lose. Now, despite the fact that the place under armed guard by cops and soldiers, the AWB and allied white nationalist militias, mostly like the Volksfront, were under the guise of a protest and stormed the building in an armored car. Okay. <laughs> now, in case you're wondering if that sounds familiar, uh, you know, uh, using the guise of a protest to storm a political building. Yeah. Uh if yeah. you look this uh, I was curious myself. I looked this up on Wikipedia and if you look at the very bottom like also read 2020 <laughs> capital insurrection I was like yeah nailed that one. Yep. <laughs> now a few cops did try to stop them uh but they were immediately outnumbered by AWB men who beat them fucking savagely. Most cops and soldiers simply stood aside and let them do their thing because they were probably friends with people in the group. Right. They're just like, Oh, Hey, it's Dave. Or more likely they tactically politically agreed with what they were doing, which is also terrifyingly common. Um, Now the AWB seemingly were shocked that they just waltzed right in. Like I say this often, it's like a dog actually catching the car tire. right? Um, So they just kind of hung around inside, spray painting the walls, literally pissing and shitting all over the place. That's Chris. Have some fucking respect for yourself. <laughs> right? You're supposed to. Dude, you, you, you see yourself as the master race. And you're popping and squatting a, a pile of shit in the corner of a building right now. You don't even respect your own beliefs. <laughs> this all ended with them cutting a deal with the local police commander that nobody would be arrested and they would simply be allowed to leave and go home. And that's what happened. Now. Cool. This might surprise you when um, you have an armed group that seemingly has a wink, wink, nudge, nudge tactic agreement with the state that they're allowed to do whatever they want. Uh, they began to get increasingly militaristic. Shocking. I know cool. that never happens any other time. They and other white nationalist groups like the aforementioned Afrikaner Volksfront began to have other plans. Now, the Afrikaner Volksfront was honestly the more mainstream. Of the two. The reason was is despite their name, which just screams Nazi to me, uh, and they were fascist, don't get me wrong. Uh they didn't use a swastika as their label, so I guess you could give them that. Wow. Yeah. Uh now the Volksfront was funded by several officers of the South African army, and their thing was planning active resistance against the end of apartheid. Uh and Another thing like separatism, they, they wanted a like a Buerstadt or a, a white man homeland. Normally in like the orange free state, like harking back to the settler colonial days of South Africa. Now, they all had various shades of belief. Um, while AWB is without a doubt the most extreme right. um, of all of them to the point that if it wasn't for the situation which they all found themselves in, or they thought that they found themselves in more accurately, they would have nothing to do with them. Everybody was, like, disgusted by Eugene Terre Blanche. Is this one of those weird right-wing wife-swapping fuckfests? Um, no, but there is a really fun, uh, like, there was an ANC-ran newspaper that spread rumors that Eugene Terre Blanche was once arrested for fucking bush pigs. Uh, (laughs) all right. Which, yeah, I'm going to say it's a fact. Yeah, actually, I know that to be true. And Eugene Terre Blanche's bitch ass is dead. And he can't sue me. So <laughs> suck it. We'll, we'll, we'll get to how he died. But I don't mean to give anybody else any credit. I just want to underline how extreme the AWB is. Gotcha. Um, now, all these guys had recruiting drives going on, uh, and a lot of people were starting to stock guns and ammo, not to mention uh, building their own armored vehicles, which is worrying. Right. <sighs> fucking terrific. Now, while this was going on, things were getting crazier and crazier. And BOP, very few people within BOP wanted Mangope to boycott the election. The, the election was overwhelmingly popular, and really only the inner circle of Mangope's spineless yes-men wanted anything to do with the concept the boycott, of this independent, right? Yeah. So no matter how much him and a circle of white nationalist government ministers insisted, the vast majority of people living there, mostly Swana people, saw themselves as a part of a future, unified, and majority-ruled South Africa. Mm -hmm. And that, more importantly, that this uh, this republic was some fake-ass bullshit. This eventually led to a civil service strike within BOP starting in February of 1994. Now, a lot of this had to do with ministry workers kind of being curious about what happens to us When we go back into South Africa, you're not going to need all of us because you're not going to be a country. You're not going to need the the trappings of a country anymore. Now, Mangope, being very bad at his job, simply didn't have the answers. And also, he stopped paying them, which is a problem. And like Stephen seems to love doing that. It's because he's really bad at managing finances. There's also like some kind of conspiracy theories. I don't know how true it is especially in situations like this, you get a hundred different stories that Mm -hmm. the ANC came through and threatened the civil service workers that if they didn't vote, they would replace everyone in local government with ANC supporters. I don't know how true that is, but I can certainly see it spreading quickly as a rumor. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to get people striking. Finally, black members of the BOP defense forces and the police confronted Mangope about his plans to continue to resist. And they were fired. For yeah. the most part, this wasn't a mass defection. Not yet. Gotcha. Mangope simply told them, quote, I have powerful friends. And now I do have to say, Mangope is a fucking liar and a fraud. It's got to be Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah. Well, if Ronald Reagan had significantly less power and goddamn would the world be a better place if that was true. <laughs> but he was telling the truth about having powerful friends. One of them was a guy named Constant Villune, who was a general in the South African army and one of the founders of the Volksfront. Right. Now, Constant Villune was considered, like, the mainstream white separatist leader at this point. He was openly championing the concept of a Boerstaat. A lot of people had loyalty to him in the military, which was worrying. Um, Now, as the transition to majority rule was not complete and the roots of apartheid ran into the foundations of every single institution in South Africa, people right. began to fear that in the event that people like, say, the AWB or someone like Mangope actually went hot with their threats of civil war, that South Africa would lose control of its own army, which was commanded by people like Viljoon. Uh So, like, the concept of Viljoen and his Volksfront, which ranks are mostly made up of reservists. So, like, People were pretty fucking worried. Sure. And this included the National Party. Like, the National Party was not 100% sure if they used the army if it listened to them at this point. That's fucking alarming. It's not good. No. Now, as the protests in BOP began to spread, Mangope saw himself as a victim of vast communist conspiracy perpetrated by the ANC and, somewhat confusingly, the National Party, who were... Why not? Absolutely, <laughs> not the communists. Now, the ANC, yeah, absolutely, sure. But, like, not the National Party at all. Why not, man? <laughs> you couldn't even call them National Socialists. <laughs> Taking the train to crazy town. <laughs> It's like if you jump into modern times, if you call something anti-communist or communist, it literally just means things you don't like, at least in the United States. Uh, For people who don't live in the United States, our our political reality is very stupid. Dumb as hell, baby. Now, soon the civil servants were joined by students as the protests grew out of control. And Bop was like barely policed in the best of times because the police were yes-men. And so were the soldiers. They are commanded by literal white separatists. So like you couldn't expect anything of them the best of times, but like, like I said before, Bob was split into seven different disconnected chunks of land. So as these protests popped up, they were almost impossible to put down. Uh, there was no continuation here, which I mean, sure. They were, it was created that way on purpose. So even if Mangope was good at his job, it probably would have been impossible for him to deploy and control this rapidly spiraling situation. Sure. So he called on Vilyun and the Volksfront to help him. This is where things get weird. And I can say for the first time, mm-hmm. probably in my show's history, that I reconstructed what happens next from literally these three people talking on camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, Vilyun described himself as happy to deploy what he keeps calling farmers into Bob. I need to point out these are all military reservists for the most part. Yeah. While they may have been farmers, they were armed, uh, and some of them who were not reservists had been trained. This is also where we get a weird break in just what happens next. Mangope and Vilune insist that neither of them ask Eugene Terre Blanche and the AWB for help. Nobody called the AWB for help. While everyone involved in the situation is terribly far right, the AWB was known for being just rabid racist and psychopathically violent mm-hmm. not to mention the swastikas were off putting <laughs> if you're using a swastika man i know i know oh I, well it's not a swastika because of this technica- it's a motherfucker. swastika. A motherfucker uh i think there's actually a, a u.s based neo-nazi group that also uses that logo i would not be surprised uh like, unfortunately, a lot of things. Apartheid era South Africa gets a lot of very strange fanboys, much like Rhodesia does. And I'm willing to bet that graph is a fucking circle. Oh, for sure, dude. Now, the reason why there's some confusion here is the Volksfront and the AWB were political allies. And they had worked together before, like on the, the storming of the, of the World Trade Center in Ventersdorp. Right. So, uh, Ter Blanche announced that he and the AWB were simply going to go help anyway. Now, when Terre Blanche went public with his intention of joining forces with the Volksfront and the BOP government, parts of the BOP police and army mutinied, joining the protests and taking their weapons with them. All right. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Bill Yoon, who is somehow the most level-headed in this entire group. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) Attempted to stop Terre Blanche from getting involved. And he went to the head of their political alliance, which is known as the White Right Alliance. We're like the white wrong alliance. That's right. Owned. There's no coming back, baby. No, nah, nah, I got you. Uh, but I mean, without, going, without going into the reality of their politics, I'm sure you can imagine what they are. Now, the head of this alliance told Terre Blanche to fuck off and not go near Bob because not because of any political differences. Remind you, they're all part of the white right alliance. But it was optics. They had the AWB on call for a very specific reason you needed mm-hmm. someone to do just street violence awb were your people 10 times out of 10 but they were not good when cameras were on them again because they were insane racists who wore swastika armbands when you needed someone to make a political stand um to make their political arguments mainstream you called the villain and that's what he right. was trying to do so the political alliance told Terre Blanche to fuck off, and even this group of white nationalists knew their entire mission would be disregarded by people at large if they allowed Terre Blanche in, because most white people in South Africa who were baseline white supremacists at best, right, considered the AWB a bit much. They didn't want them going anywhere near it. It's like being a white supremacist, being like, no, no, not this guy though. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, Grand Terre Blanche brags they had a membership of a half million at some point, but that's probably not true. Um, It was probably 100,000 at least, though. So, I mean, which is still a a minority. I hate Nazis. Now, more specifically, Villian probably knew that the AWB showing up in BOP would cause things to fly off the handle. And the Volksfront might be able to bring peace, quote-unquote peace, mind you, uh, to BOP. The magic of street violence. That's right. Uh, now, Terre Blanche said he cut a deal with President Mangope himself, something that Mangope in interviews completely denies. <laughs> i just love that, like, no, no. uh. <laughs> I do have to say, this is the one time I believe Mangope is telling the truth. Right. <laughs> in Mangope's telling of the story, he got a call from Terre Blanche offering help, which he refused. How noble. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Whatever really happened, and honestly, I have no idea. This could be both the Volksfront and Mangope attempting to clean up their history because of what happens next. Terre Blanche and the AWB decided to rally their forces anyway and go to BOP. According to Terre Blanche, like I said, AWB had 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 about a half million people, according to him. And they mustered around 6,700 men, armed mostly with sidearms and pistols. But that number is way too fucking high. Yeah. Now, as much as I find Villune disgusting, he's much more open and honest with his beliefs. So I find him more trusting on the, the nuts and bolts of most situations that he yeah, found sure. himself in, outside of his you know horrible politics. Horrific existence, yeah. He said that only around 600 AWB men showed up while the Volksfront uh, had about 4,500, which I believe. Um, there's no reason. And not to mention, when you look at the pictures, there's honestly not that many AWB men. Because 600 people showed up and then they slowly trickled away. Like This was not a rigidly uniform right. military organization, no matter how much Terre Blanche wanted that to be the case. But the Volksfront and the AWB moved in convoys of personally owned vehicles, which does look kind of funny on video. Uh, according to Will Yun, his men under the command of Stein, uh were unarmed yes. <laughs> at the time. Uh, this was not because they didn't own guns, but it's because of an agreement that they had with Mangope that in the event of Mangope needing the Volksfront's help, Bop's own defense force would supply them with weapons, which was the agreement. now. Right. The AWB did not have that agreement. Their agreement was don't come. So like, they ended up bringing pistols and shotguns mostly, which ended up being a very, very good thing that that's all they had. Right. Meanwhile, in Pretoria, the national government heard about this massive movement of men and realized that if Viljoen and Terre Blanche mission to prop up Mangope and shrug off the so far mostly peaceful transition to majority rule, the South African Army, made up of mostly white men and ran by white men, mm-hmm. would almost certainly refuse to fight them because of their loyalty to Vilune, who who is considered a military hero, and former general of the Sadf. So like, if these guys are successful, mm-hmm. this transition's fucked, right. And because that is the case, they can't send the army out to stop them because they probably won't listen right. So literally their entire plan boiled down to, we just have to sit back and hope they fail. Oh, that is terrifying. Which is kind of incredible in in retrospect. Like really all we're going to do is cross our fingers on this one, folks. All right. Good luck, everybody. Now, the Volks front men arrived in Bop, staying at the military airfield where the plan was to get the weapons from the stores in the hangars. Uh, And then they would venture out the next day and, quote, restore order to Bop. As Villune put it, which probably just meant shooting everything that moved. But we don't know that because thankfully that part didn't happen, at least on behalf of the Volksfront. Terre Blanche and the AWB were also allowed into the airbase despite everyone claiming he was not invited. This is the, one of the weird details of the story. Everybody claims he was not invited and he was told to fuck off, but they let him in anyway. General Jack Turner, the white man in charge of Bob's army, demanded that Terre Blanche and the AWB leave immediately. Jack Turner is one of the guys I had to like qualify with. He only looks reasonable because he's next to Terre Blanche. He's still a sure. fucking asshole. This is because as bad as the situation was, Terre Blanche was in the airbase while his men were kind of just running wild. Um, The AWB were just like doing drive by shootings all around BOP and shooting anything that moved, gunning down random black people seemingly for sport. Now the idea that they're literally hunting people for sport is not hyperbole. It's supported by the actual accounts of Greg Marianovich, who was a member of the bang bang club is the nickname of conflict journalists um, Mm. who were there. And yes, I do have to qualify that with Greg Marianovich is a white man as well. So like he has no reason to lie for these people. Right. He heard AWB men tell him, say, quote, we are on a blank shooting picnic. The blank is the K word, which is the Afrikaans version of the N word. And I'm not going to use it. Okay. Um, Yeah. If you want to hear it, watch blood diamond where Leonardo DiCaprio uses it. (laughs) So, Again, this group of white nationalists got together and told Terre Blanche to fuck off because he was making them look bad and making this already bad situation way worse. This is made even worse than that when elements of the BOP Army saw the AWB in Army headquarters and assumed that they were all in cahoots with one another. Mm -hmm. And soldiers being soldiers and cops being cops, rumors began to spread. Soon civilians heard that the AWB was in town. Because, I mean, at this point, even though the AWB had been shooting at people, they were speeding by in cars. Nobody right. was entirely sure. Now, because AWB and the Volks Front were together with Jack Turner, soldiers saw no functional difference between them. So now the entire mission is fucked. The Volks Front cannot be seen as a, quote unquote, force for good to bring peace and stability into this situation because they've now been seen to hang out the AWB. Right. So... The soldiers refused to hand the Volksfront members weapons that General Turner and the BOP Defense Force had promised Villune. And so now the Volksfront's unarmed. Soldiers are mad. The AWB is committing a pogrom. Things are going poorly. Soldiers warned Turner that if the white militias didn't leave BOP, they were going to turn on them. So then Terre Blanche and the AWB agreed to leave, uh, though there was like an a, a agreement before this that they would work with the Volksfront, but they'd have to take off their AWB logos, which again is a swastika. Right. And then the AWB men, despite being told by Terre Blanche to take it off, refused to take it off. So then they agreed to leave. Uh, they began to pile into their trucks and cars and drive out of BOP back towards Ventersdorp. As they did, the convoy turned into one big rolling drive-by shooting firing Just at anyone Christ. they saw in their way. There's a lot of footage of this you can see. It's uh, it's freely available on YouTube if you really want right. to see it. Um, it includes like Survivor's account because the AWB still kind of exists. Terre Blanche is mm-hmm. dead, but they have a lot of apologists to say this never happened. You can literally Most watch it. People, people fucking recorded it. Um, nobody's entirely sure how many people the AWB killed, but the number is thought to be between 10 and 50 with okay. probably double that wounded. Now, as you can imagine, this was the straw that broke the already shattered spine of the the soldiers in the BOP army. They're like, you know what? Fuck this. Even the guys that were still maintaining loyalty to Mangope, this is too much for them. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't put up with this, even if their boss told them to. Mm Mm-hmm. As some AWB columns made their way through the Capitol, not every road was made clear for them. At one point, an angry crowd now made up of black and white people, as well as soldiers who were armed gathered in the street to block their way. When the AWB opened fire on them racial harmony, (laughs) right? When the AWB opened fire to clear the way, BOP soldiers finally had enough and returned fire on a blue AWB-driven car. And you can actually watch this moment occur, and they hose that bitch. But <laughs> 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 I have to admit, it's pretty gratifying. Now, within eye shot of rolling cameras, BOP soldiers hose this car with bullets. They kill the driver, AWB General Nicolas Fourier. And wound two other people: AWB Colonel Alwin Wolfard and AWB Field Cornet Jakobus Stephanus Uis. Hans fuck ass. Hans fuck ass. Now, at this point, Wolfhard stumbles out of the car, pointing a gun at a crowd that had begun to gather around the disabled car. Well, Dragged through the streets. Dragged through the streets. Someone helpfully points out to old Colonel Wolfhard that uh, how bad of an idea it would be if he shot anyone else that day. Um, now, at, at this point, a bot police officer walks up and takes his gun from him. Then they're thrown to the ground and you can hear them pleading for help. Well, You can watch this on video as well. It's great. I believe it's Wolfard. He's, he's like, my friend, he needs a medic. My friend, he needs a medic. I made him Italian. I'm sorry. I can't do a South African accent. <laughs> so and again, five minutes before, they were doing drive-by shootings on these people because they thought they were less than human because of the color of their skin. And now they find themselves surrounded by armed mutinying police officers and soldiers, as well as more than a couple dozen incredibly pissed off civilians. Tough way to go, man. Now, they had discarded their lovely swastika armbands at this point that they you know enjoy wearing so I'm much. Probably smart. And that's when a bot police officer, who I will not name, uh, walks up to them and asks them, Are you AWB? And the man says, Yes, yes, we are AWB. And the police officer executes them at point-blank range while the camera is filming the entire thing. Wait, uh, somebody executions bad, but like, uh, you know, stuff happens. Stuff yeah. happens. You know Winter what? Drive-bys. I'm fine with this. He fucked yeah. around. And he found out. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Look, if you're doing a goddamn pogrom through the streets of a city and one of the people you're trying to murder kills you back, <laughs> that's not a crime. That's consequences. That's just, like, that's just evening the score. Yeah. Yeah. And even then, they even it. These are like the only AWB guys to die. Oh, that's a shame. Now. This ended the, the, the BOP coup, but more than that, it pretty much took the wind out of the sails of the white idea of armed resistance at the start of majority rule in South mm-hmm. Africa. The white population of South Africa at this point had been purposefully made numb to the incredible amount of state violence being done and used to keep them in power. White people didn't see generally the horrible crimes their security forces were committing to keep black people down. But as Mac Maharaj, a member of ANC, and I believe is later like uh, part of the ministry of transportation. I think he pointed out that the fact that this is recorded and shown, this is shown on the news that watching these AWB guys get executed on TV. As you will. Uh, like it showed the white right alliance the cost that they would pay if they were committed to racial separatism. Mm-hmm. You would end up dead in the street. Uh, and like Maharaj points out, that like more than the men, this showed the people who were not dedicated to that struggle, like you know, the support system, their families, things like that. Mm-hmm. Like this is what your future looks like if you commit to this ideology. Not to mention, it looked. Real bad, even outside of that, like you had people wearing swastikas, murdering people in the street. You saw the race war that people were worried about. Right. And the people saw, frankly, how awful it was. To be fair, the black population of South Africa was more than aware of what Mm -hmm. racial state violence looked like. They didn't need to be told anything more. But it was white people that finally showed what that would look like. Not to mention... Uh, the white-right alliance kind of crumbled as an effective block in any sort because while this was happening, while the AWB was being murdered in the street, right. the Volksfront Front refused to come to their aid. <laughs> oh, funny how that happens. Now, at this point, the South African government finally got involved. Um, they sent the, the military... Uh, under the guise of protecting the embassy, of course, Mm -hmm. to escort the Volksfront out of BOP before it turned into a massacre. Um, Now, just to show how much this changed the political reality for white separatists in South Africa at this time, Konstad Viljoon, the commander and one of the founders of the Volksfront, and like I've pointed out, considered the most able to throw this entire transition uh, to majority rule into chaos sure. ordered his men to vote wow yeah it turned out getting your brains scattered on the side of the road and bop with a swan, changes a few minds <laughs> yeah all right now as we know white rule was ended and Nelson Mandela did become president of South Africa in order to heal the nation bring everyone together they launched the Truth and Reconciliation Commission where the gross yeah. human rights violation of mostly the apartheid era government could be investigated and lay bare for everybody to see. And people could admit their crimes and apply for amnesty where overwhelmingly amnesty was approved with the exception of very few people. Right. It's not for any of us to say if that was a good or a bad thing. I think it's the best case scenario. Yeah. Least bad option. Sure. But not a happy one. Certainly. Right. Like, for instance, Eugene Terre Blanche was granted amnesty. That's not being dragged through the streets at all. So was the police officer who shot the AWB mid. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Which I have to say is great. Now, Eugene Terre Blanche would end up going to prison a couple of times for other reasons independent of the amnesty he was granted for his various hate crimes. Uh, And I will say it's not my place to judge the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but I will say the journey towards restorative justice is sometimes a long one. And that journey for Eugene Terre Blanche ended on April 3rd, 2010, when he was beaten to death with a pipe and hacked to death with a machete by two former employees who were pissed off that he hadn't paid them for their work. Good. A happy ending. Well, right. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, that's good. <laughs> that is good. That is good. Now, unfortunately, one of the two men were found guilty of, for his murder and sentenced to life in prison, but the other one walked free. So, that seems unnecessary. Yeah. He was doing a civic service. Now, I will end this on a good note. Liam, we do a segment on this show called Questions from the Legion where we answer your questions. You can ask us uh, via DMs and Patreon through our Discord, email. I like think always say this as if I'm unfamiliar with the concept because you always say <laughs> Liam. You can attach your message to a machete and plant it Eugene Terplanch's Blanche's skull. Um, <laughs> they might have to edit that one out. <laughs> uh, and we will answer it on the air. And today's question is very innocuous, and I support it wholly for the topic of this episode. This one comes uh, from Patreon. It says, is there any way we can make the random Russian dubstep from the Chechen episodes a permanent thing on the show? It's fucking hilarious. Good news, friend. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's on the soundboard forever now. Yay. Anyway, that's our episode. Uh, I hope that we, we brought you yet another very stupid coup that ended on a high note of Eugene Ter getting brained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Liam, plug your shows. Well, there's your problem. It's a leftist engineering disasters podcast. 10,000 losses. It's a leftist sports podcast about Philly, which Joe is going to help record tomorrow. And we're going to have our first bonus episode where we talk about the pitiful history of the Detroit Lions. Next year's our year, baby. I'm also on this shitty podcast called Lions Led by Donkeys, (laughs) where my co-host is a smelly donkey. How dare you? (laughs) this is only part of the anti-joe propaganda to prop up the pro liam coup yeah that's right (laughs) welcome back to liam's led by doggies (laughs) we have seized control of the radio stations uh everybody thank you for listening to the show uh thank you for supporting the show uh you make everything we do possible uh to include all of the psychic damage i give liam (laughs) hello if you'd like me to give more psychic damage to liam donate to the show why not Buy his books. Buy my books. Why not? Buy am- something from our Teespring store. I have discovered today that I have sold more books than Piers Morgan. I <laughs> <Saw> that toy. proud of you. Ah, eat shit, you old bigot. And until next time, fuck Piers Morgan.